One of the things that's beautiful about church is even though we come from a lot of different perspectives, we have one thing that unites us. And there's only one. There's only, besides the fact that we all breathe air, you know, other than that, the only thing that unites us together is Jesus. And so all the other things that we love or we like or we don't like or whatever those things are, those are side things because the one thing is Jesus and he's everything to us. So that's why we're here to celebrate today. So thanks for being here really and truly. Uh, we're, we're closing in on the end of a series that we're doing called More Than Smoke and Mirrors. And it's all been about relationships and how those relationships can really function in magical ways. And we focus a lot, and we will focus a lot on marriage, but there's a lot of other relationships that we're talking about and that these things apply to. So if you're married, you'll find things that, where these will apply to you. If you're not married, you'll find things here that will apply to you and the things that you're doing and working through in your own life. So hopefully you'll see those as we go along. Uh, we found there are two kinds of relationships in the world. There are peer relationships and there are power relationships. Peer relationships are the relationships you have with other people in which it feels like the ground is level. It feels like, you, you know, no one's got power, no one's got more power than the other. You're sort of equal. And usually these kind of relationships are relationships between siblings, relationships between neighbors, uh, sometimes relationships between coworkers. Those could be peer relationships. But then there are also power relationships or what I would call traditional power relationships, especially I, short, I shorten that when I'm doing my notes up in the office, I, I just call them TPRs. Traditional power relationships, there are three of them. There is marriage and there's family and there's work. And in those TPRs, those traditional power relationships, there's always somebody who's over somebody else. There's always somebody who's got power over somebody else. And the TPRs, the husband traditionally has power over the wife. And the father has power over the children. And the master has power over the slaves. And when you come to the passage that we're talking about these days in Ephesians chapter 5, the, this letter written by the Apostle Paul to Jesus' followers in a town called Ephesus 2,000 years ago, this was written. When you come to this passage, you find out that God is, is wanting to turn those TPRs upside down. He's wanting to take those traditional power relationships and change the way they work in some really beautiful and significant ways. And so we're talking about what those things will look like. There's one sentence that has been the theme of our journey through these relation, relationship conversations this found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And just to say that sometimes sets all kinds of bells and whistles and sirens off in our head. But here's what he's saying as we've, as we've learned this. To submit to one another literally means to arrange ourselves under one another, to lift one another up, to carry one another, to cheer one another on. Do that with one another is what he's saying. But even when you say it that way, you still come back to the S word, and the S word gives us tension and, and challenge and struggle because it's been misapplied in our lives so many times and for so long in our culture. And in these days, when we've got sexual harassment going on everywhere we look and sexual assault going on everywhere we look, to talk about submitting is a, is a really challenging topic to address, and it is full of pitfalls. The New York Times restaurant review raved about this place. You know, 
Speaking of the times, did any of you guys read that op-ed piece about... Honey, no. We can, uh, we can talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we should. We absolutely should. I'll go first. Are you sure you want to do this? Yes, yes. I think... Careful. Yeah, I, I think that some women... Careful. Or, or rather, um, uh, some men have a... Proclivity. Help me. Okay, sure. Uh, well, while I applaud the movement. Watch it. Noted. Careful. Okay. How oh, I, I feel that powerful men almost always abuse. No. Okay, fine. The Me Too movement. Pass. Uh, okay, what I think we're forgetting... Oh, no. ...is the way that this intersects with the issue of... Who? Race. No! So maybe you can help me out today? If I, if, I, if I am talking about this and maybe I, I just start getting too close to the edge for you, you can just, just kind of come out with a... Yeah. Did you catch that in the back, how this works? Now I'm just a little too close to the edge for you and you guys go... Yeah, watch it. Thank you very much. All right, so that's how it's... I may call foul on myself today. I'm not really sure how this is going to roll out, but I want to address the topic as straight up as we can. There's just, it doesn't seem to help if we got like, well, let's just talk around it a little bit. Let's just march straight into it. So we're talking about what it looks like to submit ourselves to one, one another out of reverence for Christ. And uh, the passage we're looking at is Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 21. So if you have a copy of the Bible with you and you want to pull it out now, this would be the time. If you got your smartphone and you want to read along with that, there's an app called Version on there. And so you can follow along with that. We've got some notes in there for you, or you're welcome to just listen. If that's the best way to grasp what we're talking about, just listen and and follow along that way. That's fine. All right. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Here's what uh, Jesus ambassador Paul says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. (laughs) Careful. (laughs) Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So last weekend, we talked about husbands, talked to husbands. We said, husbands, here's how this lays out. Here's your marching orders from God. This is what he wants you to do. And I promised you last week we'd move on to wives this week. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about wives and women, and there'll be stuff in here for men and husbands, and how do we do this together? So something still for everybody, but there's going to be one focus as we go along today. And again, let's just do it as straight up as possible. Let me ask some questions. Number one, what does this not say? Let's get clear on what this does not say. See, submission or submitting to somebody else is hard for everybody. It's always hard for people when they go, oh, I've got to submit to somebody else. And especially in those TPRs, the traditional power relationships, if someone has had power and then someone says, now you have to submit to somebody else, that's really hard. And so for, so for husbands and for fathers and for, and for masters to say, you've got to submit to somebody else, that lands on them pretty hard. But submitting, the idea of submitting has always landed hardest on women. And women, you you know it. No one has to explain that for you. But maybe we can talk about why that's happened. Why have we gotten off track with what the scripture says here? Why have we gotten so sideways with what is being written here? Why does it land so hard on women? Number one, I think it's because women are listed first. There are three relationships in this passage, not just one. It's not just about marriage. It's also about family, and it's also about work. But women are listed first, even though there are six people in those three different relationships. Women are listed first, and so it seems like, well, they're the ones who get the, they get the instruction. They get the command. Ladies, you're supposed to submit. Maybe it's because they just come first in the, in the passage. Maybe if Paul would have started with slaves, we all would have said, oh, good, that's fine, no worries. But that's not where he started. Second reason I think it has landed harder on women is because men don't want to give up power. I mean, besides Jesus, who does? Apart from Jesus, who just willingly gives up power? Who has power and then just go, hey, I'll just give that up. That's a Jesus thing to do, and it doesn't come easy for men. But here's the third reason I think it's landed hardest on women. It's because of a little thing called an ellipsis. Any grammarians in the house? Oh, just me, so no one cares. (laughs) Except this is really going to be helpful. Maybe. (laughs) An ellipsis, whenever you see a sentence and it's got maybe at the end of the sentence or maybe in the middle of the sentence it's got dot, 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 that's called an ellipsis. And what it means is something has been left out. It hasn't changed the meaning of the sentence, but something has been left out. Let me give you a dictionary definition. Again, I know you don't think this matters, but it's in my notes, so I'm going to give it to you anyway. Thank you. (laughs) An ellipsis is the omission 
of one or more words from a construction, like from a phrase or from a sentence, the omission of one or more words from a construction in order to avoid repeating the identical or equivalent items that are in a preceding or following construction. Is that helpful? <laughs> you, don't, you don't know why. So let me give you an example. I've been to San Francisco, but they haven't. Is that a full sentence? Should we vote? It's, it's a full sentence because it expresses a complete idea. You know what I'm talking about. I've been to San Francisco, but they haven't. But there is something missing. There's an ellipsis at the end of that sentence. Do you know what it is? Do you know what was omitted? Been to San Francisco, right? I've been to San Francisco, but they haven't been to San Francisco. It's an ellipsis. Something was left out. Now, when Paul wrote this part of Ephesians, he starts off with the umbrella passage. He goes, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's on all of us. We're all called to do that. Male, female, parent, child, husband, wife, master, slave, employer, employee, everybody. As a follower of Christ, we're called to that. And then Paul moves on to the next thing. Now, in English, it says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. But when Paul wrote it in Greek, he left out the second uh, example of submit. He made an ellipsis. He goes, he goes, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, to your husbands as to the Lord. He didn't emphasize it. He didn't highlight it. He goes, hey, now wives, now you got a special deal. You have to submit. No, it's just an ongoing statement. Submit to one another out of reference for Christ. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. And he just goes on. And they're all examples of submitting to one another. But it's landed hardest on wives. It's landed hardest on women over the years. But what does this not say? It does not say that women are the only ones to submit. It does not say that wives are the only ones to submit. It does not say that. It's just that we express our submitting to one another differently. So we talked last week about husbands and husbands express submitting by loving their wives sacrificially. Husbands express their submitting by giving themselves up for their wives. But wives express their submitting in a different way. And so what does it say? What does submitting look like for women? careful here's okay so here's the definition definition of the word that we've talked about it means to arrange submitting means to arrange yourselves under someone else to lift them up to carry them to cheer them on and ladies that's a choice that's a choice you make i know it's a commandment from god i know it's a directive from god i know god's saying you do this but it's not something that someone else can make you do. It's not something that someone can coerce you to do. It's never been about that. Ladies, you make that choice just like men make that choice. It's a good choice. It's a Christ-honoring choice. But it's your choice. It is not something that someone makes you do. It is self-initiated. And when it is self-initiated, it does something magical. 
the power in this word to shape relationships, to change relationships, is the reason we titled the whole series More Than Smoke and Mirrors. Because what happens is something magical can come in a relationship where we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ when we make that choice toward one another. So Paul says to the wives, he says, I want you to submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. I want you to arrange yourself under your husband as you do to the Lord. And, you know, I know somebody like, are you kidding me? You want me to treat my husband like I treat Jesus? Are you kidding me? Do you know the gap between my husband and Jesus? <laughs> Careful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> step, away, step away from the edge. Do you know the gap between your husband and Jesus? It's, it's, it's big. submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord? Are you crazy? Yeah, but it's, it's never been about your husband. It's never been about how great your husband is, how good your husband is, how amazing your husband is. Like if, like if he's really amazing, you should do this. It's not about that. He's just saying, hey, this is what you do for Jesus. This is what I want you to do for your husband. Because when you do that for your husband, something magical happens. Don't dismiss that part. Frankly, when I read that, sometimes I, I want to I like minimize that part. You're like, submit to your, to your husband as you do to the Lord? Like, well, j- just submit to your husband and get on with it. Yeah, but don't minimize that part because that's the calling that God has for us. What if everyone who's a follower of Jesus would apply that? What if husbands love their wives like Christ loved the church? What if husbands did that? What if wives arranged themselves under their husbands just like they do to Jesus? What would happen if that were the case? What would happen in families? What would happen in the workplace? What would happen? It might be amazing. So what does it ask? In Ephesians 5, verse 21, there's the general directive, right? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But all the way through the rest of the passage, the rest of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, where he talks about these three TPRs, these traditional power relationships, there's the general directive, and then each character in these relationships has a specific directive. So husbands, the specific directive is love your wife like Christ loved the church. For fathers, the directive is do not exasperate your children. We say, well, let's put that in positive, active terms. That means breathe life into. Instead of sucking life out of your children, which we as fathers are prone to do, he says, rather, I want you to breathe life into your children. That's a dad's role. That's a mom's role. And we said there's one word that describes that. It is inspire them. How would, you, how would your children thrive if you lived your life to inspire them? The specific directive for masters is don't, don't threaten your slaves any longer. We said, well, the active way of saying that is, is to help your slaves. What kind of master helps their slaves? Christ-honoring ones do. 
So there's a specific directive for every person in these relationships, and there's one also for wives, but it's not submit. That's the very first word in the, in the, in the overall passage, but that's not the specific one for wives. That doesn't show up until the very end of chapter 5 in verse 33 where it says this, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, talking to husbands, and then to the wife, and the wife must respect her husband. Ladies, here's, here's your specific directive from God toward your husband. Give him respect. It's not the S word at all. It's the R word. Give him respect. Now that word, when Paul wrote it, he used this Greek word, phobos. Do you know, do you know that word, phobos? Do you know any words we have in English that, that come from the word phobos? Or phobos? Phobia, it's a word that means fear. Oh, no, it's getting worse. <laughs> the wife must fear her husband. Careful. No, here's, yeah, so I mean, we've, got all kinds of, we've got all kinds of phobias in the world, right? So we've got agoraphobia, which is fear of crowded places. We've got acrophobia, which is fear of heights. Now we have husbophobia. Except he's not talking about being frightened. He's not talking about being fearful. He's talking about fear in the same sense the Bible uses it to talk about our relationship with God, where it, it means to honor, to revere, even to worship. And I know, I know, ladies, like, I'm not worshiping that dude. I know what you're saying. I know it. <laughs> Try honor. Try giving your husband honor. And it, and it doesn't say, it doesn't say, and wives, you should respect your husband when he's respectable. I hope your husband is absolutely fully respectable all the time. But what if he's not? I got that one. Careful, I got that. <laughs> if he's not, respect him anyway. That's the directive. That's the calling that he gives to us. Do you know why? Ladies, because when you give honor to your husband, when you give respect to your husband, you meet his greatest need. It's fascinating to me that, and this is a general statement, I realize this, but it's fascinating to me that most men can go a long time without love. We can survive in the woods if you're good at this kind of thing. We can survive in the woods forever and no one's even around to love us. But what a man desperately needs is respect. It's been that way from the beginning. See, it's so interesting. When God gives us a command, he knows, he knows why he gives that command. So ladies, when he, when he goes, I want you to respect your husband, it's because your husband has this deep need to be respected, to be honored. In fact, when, when, he says to, when he says to husbands, love your wives, it's because he knows that wives have a deep need to be loved. Men, have, they, men don't have a hard time respecting their wife. They look at their wife and go, she's a wonder woman. She keeps the house. She goes to work. She you know, does the kids. She does all this. She's amazing. Men don't typically have a hard time respecting their wife, but they have a really hard time loving her because men get stuck on the one person they love the most. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, careful themselves to love somebody is really hard for a man but 
it's the wife's greatest need to respect someone. Sometimes it's really hard for a woman, but it's her husband's greatest need. And the reason he gives a directive is because it's hard for us. He doesn't tell us the things to do that are easy. When you, when you do these things naturally, like he doesn't command you to breathe because you just do it naturally. But ladies, he commands you, he directs you, he calls you to respect your husband because it doesn't come so naturally, but it's his greatest need. In power relationships where one person has traditionally had power and the other person has not, like marriage, in traditional places, when one person has power and the other person does not, the other person finds ways to gain power. And they may not be official, they may not be widely acclaimed, but we find ways to have power. And women have found what James describes in another letter in the, in the New Testament, he, he describes it as the power of the tongue. When you're powerless in all other ways, you sometimes find power in the tongue. And respect is an activity of the tongue. And when you arrange yourself under someone else to respect them, a lot of the ways you can do that is with the power of the tongue. But of course, a lot of the ways you can disrespect someone is through the power of the tongue. And I don't know if you've ever heard in a group of women as you walk by or maybe as you stand in the midst of that group of women, if you've ever heard a woman trash talk her husband. As a man who has heard that, it is mortifying. Because the man has just been emasculated by his wife's words. And it doesn't matter if you're saying the words to him or you're saying the words about him. Words have indescribable power to build up, to lift, to carry, or to destroy. Ladies, when he talks about make sure that the wife respects her husband, he's saying use the power of your tongue to lift him up, never to bring pain, never to bring destruction. A friend of mine gave me a question to give to you ladies for this. My friend's a woman, so she understands this, but she gave me this great question. I thought it was so helpful. She said, invite the women to ask this question of themselves in regard to their husband. Is my husband's name safe in my mouth? Ladies, is your husband's name safe in your mouth? That's a picture of respect. That's a picture of honor. And what he's asking us to do is not always easy, is it? It's why, the, it's why the whole topic is so challenging to us. And, 
And if you look at your life, you go, man, I am struggling with this. this I'm in some bad habits or I'm in, a, I'm in a deep pit with this. And you need help, then, then get help for that. Years ago, Donna and I were in a place, I, th- I think it was right about the time that our children, our last child, was leaving the home. Like the empty nest was landing on us with full force. And uh, I think we have always done pretty well at loving each other and honoring each other. I think we've done pretty well, but we got into a spot where we just were not treating each other kindly. We weren't treating each other like we wanted to treat each other. And I, was, and I was a culprit, and my wife was a culprit. We're doing this to each other, and we knew it wasn't good, and we knew we didn't want to do it, but we couldn't stop. We're in a pit, and we couldn't stop. And finally, my wife piped up with the question that no husband wants to hear. Do you think we could go see a counselor? Now, the benefit that I had that some of you guys don't have is I've been doing this ministry thing long enough and met with enough couples over the course of my life to know how hard it is for a man to say yes to that request. Man's typical response when his wife says, can we go see a counselor is no. And his second, re- his second reply is, you can if you want, but I'm not going. And his third thought that he probably doesn't say if he's like smart at all is, you need help, I don't. But fortunately, in our case, I'd done this long enough. I'd watched enough people struggle with things, these things where I, you know, for once in my life, had the right answer, which was yes. Went to see a counselor. Not because we were in a disaster. We just didn't want to be doing this to each other. And while we're in our first session with the counselor, the he listened to us for a while, and then after a while, he, just, he gave us one line for each of us that changed everything for us. He said, he said to me, Brad, you know <clears throat> that you need to be your wife's greatest cheerleader. And I'm like, ding, 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 ding. That's the answer for me. And then he looked at Donna, and he goes, Donna, you, you know you need to be Brad's biggest cheerleader. And, I, and, and I, again, I went, ding, 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 that's the answer. <laughs> and then I can get away from that. I can back up from that a little bit, and I go back to my biblical roots and to what I understand from the Scripture. And I go, oh, he was just putting Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 in different language for us. He was just saying, hey, arrange yourselves under one another. To what? Lift one another up, to carry one another, to cheer one another on. It's the same thing Paul said. But he put it in a way that we captured it, and it changed everything for us. If you need help, get it. We have this one conference coming up on Friday and Saturday this week. It's designed to help us get this. And some of you are thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't really need to go to that. You know, I'll, I'll really all night Friday and all morning Saturday and then church on the weekend. It's like, really? Yeah. Really, because it's going to be so helpful. It's called the One Conference because it's designed to take two people and make them one. That's what marriage does. That's what it's all about. Two people become one. And in that conference, we want to help you get there. And some of you will say, you know, we've been married 48 years. We don't need to go to a marriage conference, you know. We only have probably one year left. I don't know. (laughs) Careful. 
That's a different pile than I planned on stepping in. <clears throat> you know, so some of you are like, oh, we don't, you know, we're not going to go to that. Okay, fine. You've been married a long time. Maybe you've you got it dialed in. Fantastic. Maybe you'd say, well, I, but I could help in little steps so that some younger couples could go to the one conference. That would be helpful as well. We're still looking for people to be able to free up our young couples to be able to come and join us at the one conference. So maybe you say, hey, I'd like to sign up for that. Let us know on the connect card. Or come to the conference and sign up and join us for that. It's going to be helpful. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why would you take the risk? Because whenever you arrange yourself under someone else to lift them up, it's always risky. Why would you take the risk? Because when you do, the potential is that something magical will happen. Ladies, when you arrange yourself under your husband to lift him up, to cheer him on, something magical may happen. Or I will say something magical will happen. It may not happen in your husband, but it absolutely will happen in you. And men, when you arrange yourself under your wife to lift her up and to cheer her on, something magical will happen. It may not happen in her, but it will happen in you. That's the power of the gospel. Lived out in submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Jesus, thank you for your words in Scripture. Thank you for your example that you lived out for us. We're so grateful for those things and for the power that you give us to give up power. So thank you for those things. Lord, bless Bless every one of us. Many of us are married, and so there's application there. Some are not, but we have relationships in families, and we have relationships at work, and the same principles apply. So, Lord, give us wisdom and discernment and eyes that are open to see how do we arrange ourselves under someone else to lift them up. Lord, thank you. We love you. We appreciate what you've done for us. Amen.